To hear the full episode, become a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. So if we've talked about, you know, during the normal state of affairs within the sort of healthcare system within Palestine, a lot of that is mediated through actually being able to get out of these spaces that are heavily gatekept by Israel into um, the Israeli health system or into health facilities outside of Israel and Jordan, for example, like you were mentioning. And one of the things that was very common, as you were saying, before the pandemic was these kinds of restrictions on imports and exports of essential medicines. Basically, not only is there kind of an an attack on the physical health infrastructure within Palestine geographically, there are these other sort of restrictions layered on top of it. And part of what sort of always existed is the idea that while Palestine is in this kind of perpetual freefall of health disparities that Israel has this very superior and uh, sort of high-tech, precise healthcare system. And I think this has been a sort of major PR moment. The pandemic has been a major PR moment for the state of Israel in terms of how the data from its Pfizer vaccine trials was used globally to help uh, enthusiastically support efforts to quickly roll back restrictions in pursuit of a vaccine-only strategy. I mean, I think the role that Israel as this kind of global health leader has played in the pandemic has really become exaggerated outside of proportion. And I'd love if we could take a second to sort of talk about both the reputation of Israel as an international health technology and security power, but also, you know, how this regime of care and how control of pharmaceuticals in particular is really key to their colonial occupation. Yeah. um, Tell me about it. Right. (laughs) So, you know, when Eric Topol was cheerleading the vaccination efforts and celebrating the vaccination efforts and fixating on the speed of the vaccination efforts, and it, it was so widely taken up, right? And the, the pandemic was really, especially the early part, was really one of those moments where you sort of had to take a breather every once in a while. Because again, it was predicated on the complete erasure and abandonment of the Palestinian people. And a lot of the initial sort of advocacy discourse was Israel is an occupier. And according to the Fourth Geneva Conventions, They're required to provide vaccines to the population they occupy, and that population is the Palestinians. And I always had a problem with that framing as being the primary demand, is that Israel vaccinates the Palestinian people, when that demand was not coupled by the demand to end the settler colonial project, right? Mm -hmm. We aren't charity cases, We aren't begging to get our vaccine. You prevented us from getting our vaccine. You deliberately, not only did you not provide, if we are to follow the Fourth Geneva Convention stipulation, not only did you not provide vaccines, you got in the way of us transporting vaccines into Palestine. And it's, it was mind boggling, Beatrice, mind boggling to see otherwise thoughtful, engaged public health researchers and practitioners completely ignore that aspect of the story. And I do believe the arrangement was with Pfizer, the early rollout of the vaccine in Israel was under an agreement that they would also share data. Mm -hmm. And so there was also the ethical issue, right, of data sharing without consent 
Um, and I, I don't know the parameters of the agreement, but there was also this ethical issue around data sharing that folks didn't really talk about and focus on. I remember in particular, and a lot of Palestinians um, remember this, the Israeli health minister, he was asked in early 2021 uh, about the mandate for Israel to provide vaccines for Palestinians. And he said something that circulated quite widely among the Palestinians and in the diaspora. And he said, if Israel is responsible for vaccinating Palestinians, then the Palestinian health minister should take care of the dolphins in the Mediterranean. Oh, and, you know, I was, I'm thinking, you know, I'm an animal rights person. I'm thinking, well, I care about the dolphins in the Mediterranean. I didn't know there were dolphins in the Mediterranean, but it was so sickening to see the Palestinians become an afterthought in this international discourse that valorized and lauded Israel, even, even as it was attacking Gaza, even as it continued its targeted killings of Palestinian resistance fighters in the West Bank and Gaza, even as, as it was engaging as an occupied power and continued engaging as an illegal occupier in the West Bank and Gaza, that there was this continued lionization of uh, the Israeli public health approach to vaccines. So I think the, the latest numbers by the end of 2021, for example, nearly 70%, now it's much higher, it's around 80 or so percent of the Israeli population had two shots, were fully vaccinated, and then nearly half of the, uh, the population has had its third shot, and less than half of Palestinians by the end of 2021 had even their first shot. And so it was, it was acknowledging, it's, it is acknowledging um, the conditions of the settler colonial project and its architecture, including apartheid, that results in this inequity, uh, but it's also that they were deliberately denying Palestinians access to the vaccine. That's really important to mention here. And I think, you know, when you think about the broader role of the Israeli pharmaceutical industry, you know, Tiva, the largest generics manufacturer in the world is based in Israel. And Tiva, among other manufacturers in Israel, are, is a great beneficiary of the occupation. It's a great beneficiary of the economic blockade on Gaza. Uh, it's been able to take advantage and exploit the captive economy. Uh, the human rights organization Who Profits has a really great report. It's, it's a little dated now, it's about 10 years old, but it's called Captive Economy and it's essentially on pharmaceuticals and the occupation. And I, for anyone interested, I recommend reading that report. Um, but Tiva in particular, as the largest global generics manufacturer has been able to capitalize on the captive economy of the Palestinian people. They, they can circumvent marketing rules. They don't have to have a label in Arabic. They don't have to go through additional registration. They can have, um, you know, cargo ships come in and out without any legal administrative barriers and taxes that are levied against Palestinian uh, cargo ships. And, this has made it so that the Palestinian economy is dependent on not only Israeli generics manufacturers, but also international manufacturers that can circumvent some of these uh, rules that are imposed on the Palestinian native pharmaceutical industry, um, but also the inability of near markets. So Jordan has a very healthy uh, generics industry, but the Israeli government has put stipulations on 
what types of pharmaceuticals can get into the West Bank and can get into Gaza. And those stipulations privilege the Israeli pharmaceutical industry. And then after that, privilege the multinationals. And uh, this is partly why there's been such a huge issue around drug shortages, because the Palestinian um, ministry is unable to afford these medications because they're at a price point that's not suitable for the economic conditions of the Palestinian people. To hear the full episode, become a patron at patreon.com slash deathpanelpod. You'll get access to this and the rest of our catalog of patron-only episodes, and be the first to get a new patron episode every Monday when it drops. With love, the Death Panel.